Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to come back and see uh, some faces from a day gone by. I was a part of this church from 2010 to 2014 uh, when the Lord called us out of here. Uh, my story with this church was pretty, uh, pretty fun. I had, uh, I had a challenging church experience uh, before that, and I went and met with a guy named Trav Newman that some of you might know, and I sat, he took me to Denny's, and we sat down, and uh, I said, Trav, um, what I'm seeing in my current church is not right. Um, either I'm going to plant a church or you're going to give me a better idea. And he was very gracious, and he grabbed me by the collar and said, young whippersnapper, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but it just so happens I'm a part of a church that does know what you're talking about. You should come and learn. And I was very grateful. Uh, I, was, I was in the chair the next week. Uh, I think I was in the membership uh, meeting the second week. And uh, we, were, we were fast from there making the trek down. Uh, we lived in Smithsburg at that time. That's a couple exits up um, and making the trek down. So uh, do know this morning that uh, what you're getting is the fruit of the work that this church has done. Some of you, I think, maybe visitors this morning know that this church has been investing uh, not just in this community to build up a gospel witness, uh, but now has children, spiritual children, growing, uh, growing a county away in Hagerstown, Smithsburg, and the surrounding areas. Um, so my name is Brad Wellock. I am one of the pastors there and have been there for a while. Uh, I tend to be the admin pastor. I like to be the person behind the scenes that is never seen. Uh, it just so happens once in a while they let me do the talking and, well, that's what you guys get this morning. So thank you all for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm actually on sabbatical right now. After nine years, they gave me a little break. And so I haven't got to preach in a little while. And I, Albert called and was like, do you think maybe, please, and text message does not effectively communicate my zeal of the response? Uh, I probably would have heard his ears yelling into the phone had we talked. Um, I'm thrilled to be here this morning, uh, and I'm very happy to bring you uh, a big message uh, about a very little person. So this morning, uh, I would like to turn all your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. If you have a Bible on your phone or in your hands, go ahead and grab that. We will bounce around there a little bit this morning. This is the story of Zacchaeus, the story of a wee little man and a wee little story, but an absolutely instructive one in looking at the topic that I wanted to bring, well, let me restate that. I don't get to choose what topic I bring. The Lord chooses what topic I bring from the passage that I'm getting. So from this passage, this is the topic I think he's bringing. And the topic is, why did Jesus come? And I think that's pretty timely since we just had a holiday, having something to do with Jesus coming. And so it's a good day to talk about that. So I tried to address the question, why did Jesus come? And I believe we can do that from this passage. So I'm going to start by reading. I'll read verses 1 to 10. We're going to look at a little bit of context. Uh, I'm a big fan of understanding what I'm reading and why I'm reading it. And then we're going to talk about five reasons for why Jesus came. So this is the Gospel of Luke written by the Holy Spirit through him. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. 
We read, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These are God's words. Now, sometimes the hardest part of working with a scripture is to try to get the main idea, to try to find out what it's talking about. What is God trying to communicate through this passage? Well, I'm happy to report that they tell us pretty plainly. The whole point of this passage is that you would know that Jesus came to earth to seek and save the lost. We just read that. It's very easy. The rest is trimming. That's takeaway. So we're done. Lunch? Anybody? Yeah, you're not that lucky in you. Christmas is one of those times when we do all sorts of traditions that we've always done, but we rarely pause to reflect on why we do them. Sometimes we don't even remember why we do them. It's just, it's just that thing that you do at Christmas. Well, hearing Jesus say that he came to seek and save the lost is the kind of language that risks falling into nostalgia. Like those traditions, some have heard it and may forget, and others may have never heard the story at all and so have no context for its meaning. This morning, I'd like to look at five reasons why Jesus came, five reasons to help us to remember, five reasons to help us understand, perhaps again or maybe for the first time. So let's dive in. My first point, point number one, Jesus came to bring light to a cursed people. Jesus came to bring light to a cursed people. The passage begins with Jesus entering the city of Jericho, and we know a fair bit about this city from both the Bible and from history. The first time we hear about the city is in Joshua chapters five and six. God's people have left Egypt by an awesome display of God's power. Moses leads them through the wilderness and to the doorstep of the promised land. They've come to the east, up the east side of the Dead Sea and are ready to cross the Jordan, head west, and begin their conquest of Canaan. Joshua is the leader of the Israelite army. Now another favorite children's tale ensues, where the army marches around the walls, blows the trumpets and shout, and God supernaturally raises the city walls to the ground, allowing a complete conquest. Upon completion of the route, Joshua in chapter 6, verse 26, places a curse on the city. And he says, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Now Joshua and the army would move on to complete their conquest and hundred years pass with Jericho in ruins. And in seemingly a passing comment, a small you know, byline of 1 Kings chapter 16, 
we see that this curse came to fruition exactly as the scripture records that it would. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34 says, In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. The cursed city claimed its predicted victims and remained a blight thereafter. Fast forward another few hundred years to the era of Jesus, and Herod the Great purchased this city from Caesar Augustus and built it up to include a fortress, a palace, a hippodrome, and aqueducts. The area had a fabulous climate and water supply, so the curse was ignored. More and more folks settled there, including our character Zacchaeus, who lived and apparently worked there. Now, this meeting with Jesus comes as Jesus is passing through Jericho because it would have been on the way from the east side of the Jordan, headed towards Bethany, where he will raise Lazarus from the dead, and on to Jerusalem, where he'll ultimately be crucified. It tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, the chief actually, and his job was to extract Roman taxes from the people, including his fellow Jews, by whatever means necessary. As the chief, it meant he probably had a small legion of goons and subordinate tax collectors who were out there doing the dirty work for him. Jericho is cursed, and Zacchaeus' lifestyle choice is setting his path in the very same direction. Jesus, on the other hand, is bringing life. Way back in Luke chapter 4, the people of his own area wanted him to stay, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jericho was about to become one of those towns. But surely now, the Son of God, the Messiah, God himself would not enter into a cursed place. Surely Jericho is beyond saving. Well, we just saw that he did. Jesus is in the business of bringing light to dark places. On the way to his own death, he rolls into this cursed town to offer light and the hope found only in him. And what his death would accomplish, sin and evil bring about curses. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' death on the cross, removes the curses. It takes the penalty and places it on Jesus. It takes his perfect record of obedience, and it puts it on to those who were cursed. Interestingly enough, Jesus would die in just a few chapters by crucifixion, a method that, according to the Jews, would curse him. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. In small part, by visiting Jericho, and in large part, by dying on the cross, Jesus shows us his willingness to take our curse upon himself. But more importantly, his resurrection, his coming back to life as he promised, shows that he has the power to overcome all of those things and bring light to very dark places. If you are someone who has been, or maybe you are someone who is in a very dark place right now, please know that Jesus has demonstrated that he is willing to meet you in your dark place. You don't have to clean yourself up. In fact, you probably have found out at this point that you can't. A part of Jesus' coming was to reset the Jews' expectations as well for what this Messiah would be. 
They wanted a powerful political savior. Jesus came to dark and cursed places to show that God desires hope and peace instead. A hope and a peace that remains available for us today. Point number two, Jesus came to bring freedom to trapped people. He came to bring freedom to trapped people. Let's look a bit more at our friend and his circumstances. Verse two says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now Israel was under Roman occupation at the time and Rome levied taxes on its subject provinces. But it didn't do the collecting themselves. They sold what would be the modern equivalent of franchise rights to whoever was the highest bidder. This person then would go extract all the taxes, however much they could get, pay Rome, and keep all the rest for themselves. So clearly, he's already a man of means because he was able to pay for the franchise. But for the text to say that he was the chief and that he was rich would seem to indicate that he was really good at his job. And that is defrauding his fellow Jews out of their money. As you might guess, he was rich, but he was not popular. If you've ever been on an airplane seated next to a chatty person and you want to shut down that conversation, just tell them you work for the IRS. No one wants to talk to the tax person. Not now and certainly not then by the way that they got their money. Zacchaeus was a shady character in a shady occupation in a shady town, but he was rich. Now that part is significant because just the chapter before this in Luke 18, Jesus had interacted with a rich person and left him feeling like he was in a really tough spot. This rich ruler comes to Jesus and tells him all about his moral life and he asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. That's code language for, you know, how do I go to heaven? And Jesus says, that's great. Um, I'm really glad you did all those things. That's, that's really wonderful. Um, go sell everything and follow me. Wow, what a gut punch for that guy. That guy was rich. In fact, it said he was extremely rich. And it says he went away sad because he loved his stuff. Then it says in Luke 18, 24 and 25, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. All right, so our boy Zacchaeus here is a rich person. Jesus just a chapter ago said his odds of being saved are worse than stuffing a lumpy, distempered thousand pound animal through a ding. Dancy little hole. Zacchaeus is stuck. He's trapped. It's a bad dude in a bad job in a bad city. But we read the story, and that's not what happened. Jesus calls him, he responds in repentance, and Jesus proclaims salvation has come to this house. And him to also be a son of Abraham, literally a child of God. Okay, so is chapter 18 wrong? Or is our passage wrong? It can't be both, right? Well, I kind of omitted two tiny little verses at the end of chapter 18. Those around him who heard the camel bit when Jesus told that story were freaking out. Some of them were wealthy. Were they perhaps trapped as well as he was? 
But verse 26 of chapter 18 says, those who heard it said, who could be saved? But Jesus tells them what is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm going to read that again because we all need to hear that again. What is impossible with man is possible with God. It's a very true story then to say that both Zacchaeus was trapped in his sin and that Jesus had the power to set him free. And here you go. You wonder if the camel ever makes it through the needle. Here you go. Zacchaeus is example number one. He didn't jump through it on his own. Jesus pulled him through it. Doesn't say nothing is impossible for the guy who tries real hard. No, the rich ruler was trying really hard. That's not it. Jesus came to bring freedom to those who appear to be trapped. And the responses to this freedom are also telling. Zacchaeus responds the exact opposite way of the rich ruler. Jesus calls him and he hurries down and runs to Jesus. The rich ruler from chapter 18 leaves disheartened. He's got a stuff mindset. He's got a moral law way of thinking. And the Jewish leaders had that too. From our passage, verse 7, they were all over Jesus for him even being near Zacchaeus. Certainly no savior would come and relate to these not moral people. If he was really God, then he would know what sort they were and stay far away from them. But what's funny is we've already seen this before too. Matthew, one of Jesus' very disciples, was a tax collector. And Matthew tells his story from Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus passed on for there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came not to pour laurels and accolades on the moral, but to liberate the captives, to go to the sick people who could not make themselves well, to go to the people trapped in their sin and shame and suffering and bring freedom and deliverance. I think Matthew Henry captures this quite well. I begin a quote. Though he had been a sinner, it did not therefore follow that he was now as bad as he had been, though they knew his past life to be bad. Christ might know his present frame to be good. God allows room for repentance, and so must we. Though he was now a sinner, they ought not to blame Christ for going to him because he was in no danger of getting hurt by a sinner but in great hopes of doing good to a sinner. Whither should the physician go but to the sick? Is your situation hopeless? I don't know all your situations, but surely someone hearing this has an area of their life that just seems utterly hopeless. Jesus came to bring freedom to the trapped. Those whose situation seems impossible for nothing is impossible with God. 
You need not hide from Jesus. Instead, run to him, for today may be the day that he may come and stay with you. Point number three, Jesus came to bring hope to lost people. Hope to lost people. This is a very short, but I think very significant point. In verse three, it says that he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, why? Why would a moral outcast want to see Jesus? The tense would imply that he was desiring to see him for some time. The lengths to which he would go to meet him reinforced this desire. Climbing a tree would certainly have been beneath someone of his civic and political level. The text doesn't say why, but we can speculate. Had he heard of Matthew's story of how a tax collector was turned disciple? Did he think that maybe Jesus had overstated his deductions on his Schedule C? We don't know. But his response in verse 6 that he hurried, literally ran, to see him and received him joyfully really seems to be telling. It would seem that even if he didn't know what he needed from Jesus, he knew that he needed something. Interestingly enough, see now Jesus' language in verse 10. Remember why he said he came? He came to seek. That's the exact same word. Seek and save the lost. So Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, someone lost in the world, and Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus to bring him hope and to save him. For all the initiative of Zacchaeus, it was Jesus who is the decisive seeker in this story. We talk about the lengths that Zacchaeus went, but we often miss the lengths that Jesus went. He set down the use of some of his godly attributes. He took a human form with all its limitations. He suffered. He was falsely accused. And a mere few days after this interchange, he would be horribly beaten and executed. This is utterly scandalous. The perfect God of the universe setting aside his perfection to come to earth to save a horrible person. But that's grace. Grace is scandalous. James Edwards writes, grace is a scandal because it insists on including those whom we wish to exclude. The story of Zacchaeus illustrates such grace. It ends not with Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, but in Jesus seeking him. Not in Zacchaeus' moral perfection, but with his recovery and restoration as a son of Abraham. Grace is forever scandalous because it is forever undeserved. Nothing you or me or Zacchaeus could do would deserve the God of the universe to come down in human form and die in our place that so we could have fellowship with God. Nothing. But that's what happened. That's what we celebrated last week. That's what he did. That coming down is all about Christmas. Just what the angels told the shepherd at Christ's birth. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, born in the city of David is what? A savior who is Christ the Lord. We are indeed a very lost and a very rebellious people. But the same good news that came to the shepherds also came to Zacchaeus. And it is also available to us. And we should, like Zacchaeus, respond in great joy. Point number four, Jesus came to bring fellowship, 
to lonely people. Fellowship to lonely people. Now, the passage tells us that Zacchaeus was a rich man, but I assure you that he was not a popular one. Everyone knew he was, but for all the wrong reasons. Let's play some word association. Work with me here. Salt and, right? Peanut butter and, macaroni and, okay, we're going to end early for lunch if I don't stop that. New subject. Let's try film. Batman and, Romeo and, Dr. Jekyll and, Phineas and, good, we got some young people here. New subject, Bible, Adam and, Samson and, tax collectors and, yeah, yeah, everybody knew him, but even his friends were others of the same sort. Materially rich, but relationally bankrupt. He was ostracized by his people. He wouldn't even have been allowed to come to church. They wouldn't have let him in the building. Non-Jews would have seen him as a sellout, and the Romans as basically an informant. So when he goes to see Jesus, he is not a part of the crowd. In fact, it was probably dangerous for him to be there, because most of the people there probably would have preferred he be dead. He hides himself in this dense tree so that he can see out, but he can't be seen by anybody. He's kind of gone incognito on us. But what we see perhaps the most powerful word in the whole passage. Did you catch it? Halfway through verse five. Zacchaeus. Jesus calls him by name. Jesus saw him. Jesus noticed him. We have no evidence that they had ever met before. We can't even tell if he was visible in the tree. He may have been completely obscured. No one could see him, but Jesus could. No one wanted to know him, but Jesus did. Verse 3 said he was coming to see who Jesus was, but Jesus already knew who Zacchaeus was. He came to see, but never dreamed of being seen, let alone known, let alone called into close fellowship. Jesus calls Zacchaeus and invites himself over for lunch. This is crazy, scandalous, and certainly bad manners. You don't invite yourself over to a stranger's house. Even today, that's bad manners. But Jesus had already seen him and already knew him. He wasn't a stranger. In fact, it was Jesus who had been there when Zacchaeus was knit together in his mother's womb from the very beginning. This was the first introduction for Zacchaeus, but not for Jesus. Jesus knew him in eternity past, saw his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and came to save him. This was a clandestine appointment, centuries in the making. Zacchaeus wanted to know who Jesus was, but Jesus already knew Zacchaeus. And I think it's telling here that Jesus doesn't make some big pronouncement over him. It's no lofty prayer to God the Father or some parable. He just seeks relationship in the most common and simplest sort of ways. Hey, dude, I'm going to come over and have lunch with you today. That's really easy to work with. Put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. No one liked him. No one talked to him. No one came to stay with him. At least it probably didn't want something. And now the Messiah, the very Son of God, comes to take up residence in your home. I cannot begin to fathom the emotions racing through him to have been so alone and now to be so filled. In response of his, 
of his restitution later certainly seems to flow out of a heart that has been made new and filled to utterly overflowing. There are many reasons you may find yourself alone and the holiday season often brings loneliness to the surface. Missing loved ones who have passed on or memories of friends in days gone by. Dear one, know that the very God of the universe knows your name and what's more, desires to come and stay with you. You may not even know him, but he knows you, all of you, the good and the bad, and he still wants to come over anyway. That's why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. He wants to bring you into fellowship with the God of the universe. Point number five, Jesus came to bring payment for a sinful people. Bring payment for a sinful people. Verses eight to 10. Now, it's possible that we've gotten this far and you may have the conclusion that sounds something like this. Well, this Jesus is a really nice guy to come and do all these nice things for undeserving people. He, he kind of sounds like somebody else we know, like Santa Claus or like Robin Hood, this nice do-gooder that goes around being nice to the downtrodden and sticking it to the establishment. That conclusion could not be further from the truth. It may also be tempting to see Zacchaeus' response in verse 8 and think that somehow his response to Jesus' call and affection is what initiates his salvation. This, too, could not be further from the truth. So let's explore that just a bit now. In verse 8, we see Zacchaeus offering to pay what seems like an absorbent restitution. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Well, he didn't make up those numbers arbitrarily. Exodus 22, verse 1 says that if a man steals a sheep, he has to repay it four for one. It's Old Testament law. He, he went right back to the book, and that's how he's doing it. He also did not do these things to make Jesus like him. Recall, Jesus initiated the relationship. Remember, who called who? Jesus is the caller. Zacchaeus is merely the responder. His response is one of heartfelt transformation. This is not a worldly generosity, but one only born out of someone who has been plucked from a lost, broken, lonely, and hopeless situation and placed into the very family of God. Zacchaeus was a sinner, a tax collector, outcast, traitor. Now he was the son of Abraham, quite literally a child of the most holy God. The transaction was indeed costly to Zacchaeus, but only in worldly terms. Sure, he gave up most all of his wealth and probably his entire career, but what he gained was everything that money can't buy. Now, what about Jesus? What would this relationship cost him? Well, in the context of this passage, merely the ridicule of the religious leaders. Of course, this was nothing new, and he'd been responding to that throughout his ministry. More significantly, only a few days later, quite known to him, it would cost him his life. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Western world is far safer than other places where kidnapping and ransoms are common. Even last year, we read in the news of the ministry staff in Haiti that were kidnapped and held by local gangs. Money was paid and eventually they escaped. 
But for Zacchaeus and for us, there is no amount of payment that would satisfy the punishment our rebellion against God deserves. Remember, Zacchaeus was rich. If he could buy his way out, he surely would have. But when he met Jesus, he realized the futility of his money and he gave it away. No, the only thing that can reconcile people back to God was a sacrifice. And the only thing that could reconcile all mankind back to God was the sacrifice of Jesus. To save the lost, Jesus would die, but his death is only half the story. Three days later, he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and death. And God seated Jesus on the throne, ruling and reigning for all time. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Many are very familiar with that, but we don't often read on to verse 17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come? He came to bring payment for a sinful people and restore us back to God. Let's bring our message to a close. The Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, echoes the mission of Jesus centuries before it happened. We read, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. Verse 15, I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Jesus came to bring about the collection planned with God the Father in eternity past. Jesus came to bring light to cursed people. He came to bring freedom to trapped people. He came to bring hope to lost people, fellowship to lonely people, and payment to a sinful people. If you find yourself in any of those places today, if you can relate to Zacchaeus, if you see just a little of yourself in those circumstances, then perhaps Jesus is calling you to come and stay with you today. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who is so powerful that you don't miss. You bat a thousand, God. Other gods and deities have flaws and mistakes and areas of weakness, and they are not worthy of our worship. You have no flaws, no mistakes, and no errors. And for every sheep that you come to save, you accomplish your work. God, today as we look at our friend, dear Zacchaeus, for fellow believers, we will meet Zacchaeus. He will be in heaven with us one day and we will sit beside him. 
God, help us to be encouraged by his story. Help us to be challenged that you would step out of eternity past into human form on Christmas for us. Not for you. You had all the glory and all the fellowship with God. You did this for us and God's glory. So Father, be with us now. For those, Lord, who are apart from Christ, who are suffering deeply in their faith, who are in dark places, perhaps in bad towns or bad jobs and bad relationships, God, I pray that you would shine light in those places today. There is no town, there is no job, there is no relationship, there is no situation that is too dark for you to bring the light of your son, Jesus. God, I ask for the Spirit to come and minister to those people today. Have them be encouraged. Have them know that while they may think no one else understands, the God of the universe knows their name. And Father, for those who are apart from Christ, for those who are in the tree like Zacchaeus, you know you need something, but you don't know what it is. We have the answer right here. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Today, you can place your faith in Jesus and he can come and stay with you and remove the sin in your life, remove the suffering in your life and make you whole in ways that you cannot do yourself, that money cannot do, that a powerful position cannot do. Only Jesus can fill that spot. So God, I pray for those people this morning that are hearing this, Lord, that you would move mightily in their lives and call them. Call them to repentance, Lord, and give them a new heart. I pray all of this in the wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.